To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? Uh, I got a brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. So this week on the podcast, I have on Josh Kinzer from Swagger Bipods. Um, Josh is just a great guy. I've really enjoyed getting to meet him. Uh, he just has a great personality. He's a great storyteller, and he's really passionate about you know his rifles and shooting. He's passionate about his hunting and, and about his family. And so we sit down in the Swagger booth. This is right at the end of the ATA show, and I get Ike Eastman on the recording and Dan Picard. So it's the four of us. So kind of a, a round table discussion. And, and anytime you get four like-minded individuals together talking and joking around, it just makes for a for a great conversation. So it, it's real authentic. Some great stories in it. We talk about Swagger in it. Uh, it it's just a great recording that I enjoyed and that I know you guys will enjoy too. Sponsor for today's show is Swagger Bipods. So Swagger builds some great products and we get into it in the podcast, but they make a bipod that mounts to your rifle. They just make it easier for, for tracking your target, for getting um, tension on those legs back into your shoulder. Uh, it, it's just got a, a, a bunch of great features. They also came out this year with their new shooting sticks. So maybe you prefer to carry them on your hip and not have it on your rifle and have a light rifle. They have those two and the, those have a, a great design as well with tension as you pull down on them. But Swagger's just a, a great company that's building great products. That's improving accuracy with the rifle. So, uh, make sure to check them out and us here at Eastman's really appreciate their support. And with that, yeah, let's see. What do we got going on over there at Eastman's? I've, I've been in touch with guys over there. That ATA show is fun. They've been on the show circuit like crazy. They're a, they're on a marathon of shows. You know, every few days I, I look at her. I see on social media that, that Ike or Brennan or Scott or, or Guy, they're all in uh, different places. You know, Dan Picard, he's traveling around as well. So um, we have a show coming up. Um, it's at the the Hunt Expo, so we're gonna I'm gonna go down there and do some recordings and and hang out and, and enjoy the show down there. I hear there's some tags that you can apply for down there that you can only win or apply at the show. Um, so I'm gonna bring a couple hundred dollars of gambling money, and you never know. Um, it, it's really my chance at some of these these big adventure hunts. I'm such a blue collar hunter that I. I just uh, love putting my name in the hat, and uh, that's that's what I've been up to lately. Just a lot of tag research, and then, you know, just just really trying to improve my hunting game. I know I talk about it all the time, but it it's um, you know, you set these goals, you know, whether it's a, a trophy buck with my bow or a trophy bull. But, but then it's putting in the work to achieve those goals, and it, it's improving it at every facet of my game, whether that's my shooting, whether that's my physical fitness, my mental toughness, my my knowledge of these units, and, and, and then also taking risk and getting aggressive with my tags and making sure I end up with some, some quality hunts in 2019. But I just couldn't be happier with the way that coos hunt um, ended up there in, in uh, January and, and uh, just getting really excited Um really fortunate I get to go hunt New Zealand this year in April um so yeah just fine-tuning things I'm tearing back apart my bow and resetting up um just built some new arrows for it and and uh, uh putting on a uh, got a new site that I put on um 
it, a, a really uh, cool, well-designed site that I that from Black Gold that I'm psyched to get on there and get shooting. So yeah, I've got that. So just making some some small adjustments here and there, and and um, and then running. It's uh, negative four right now, and the wind's blowing and super cold. But I'm gonna finish up this this intro and this ending, and and me and my dog Gunnison, and we're gonna get on the trail. There's probably a foot of fresh snow, um, but it. It's perfect. It's great. Just getting out day in, day out and putting in the work to achieve my goals. So um, just couldn't be funner. Really excited to get together with these guys at the Hunt Expo. I got some great recordings that I put together. Great recordings lined up. Just going to keep working really hard at this this podcast and and uh, putting out good content. So with that, let's get this thing rolling. This is a really fun conversation. So Ike Eastman, Dan Picard sit in on this, and uh, Josh Kinzer from Swagger, just a great guy, great storyteller, uh, really enthusiastic, and and um, I think you guys will enjoy him. Uh, and uh, me, your host, Brian Barney, Eastman's Elevated. Here we go. Give me a quick test, test. Test, test. Test, test. Test, yeah. test. One, two, three. All right. Got all four mics. I'll start us off. Okay. I'm live here at the ATA. I've uh, wrangled up Ike Eastman. We got him on the podcast today and Dan Picard and then Josh from Swagger Bipods. I think you need a raise to, ra- to, to wrangle all of us. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I really do. <laughs> I think that's a great point. <laughs> but, yeah, this has been really fun. We've been able to visit with some, some great people, and Josh is one of those people. He's been one of our partners on the podcast, and so we're excited to be able to sit down with you, Josh, and, and talk over some of the products you have. So um, I saw this this new product um, that was Scott was showing me the shooting sticks. Um, yes, that is really cool. So the the Swagger bipod, I fell in love with it. The one that mounts to your rifle and the way it swivels and you get tension on it. Um, but these sticks, that's a, a new product for you guys that I think is going to be great for the market. Yeah, you know, and we we wanted to come out with a shooting stick that was you know really lightweight that we knew, but but we wanted to have one that also you know, you could still adjust on the fly while you're looking through your scope. And so, you know, with the bungees in the top here, you can lean in, lean to the side, you know, and make your adjustments while you're still looking through the scope and not, you know, taking them off and fiddling. Um, You know, and they weigh nothing. And really, you know, there's no shooting stick or no shooting rest that's going to fit every one hunter. So that's what we're just trying to do is to accommodate you know everybody so they can have you know whatever they do in the field whether it be mil- you know we're even working on some military stuff but to be able to make those adjustments while you're in the scope and in the you know heat of battle or you know you've got buck fever which you know it's which are both about the same thing when it comes to heart rate but to be able to make those adjustments without coming out of the scope and fine-tuning you know something on the end of your, your rifle so Shooting is all about the rest. Accuracy is all about the rest. But we're all individuals, and we all prefer different products or different ways to accomplish the same goal. But those shooting sticks are really neat. Like you say, they weigh nothing. I think they weigh a touch more than that. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, no, they're super light, right? And they, they, they compress down really small, uh-huh. and then they have tension on them to where you can, you can raise or lower the rifle with tension on it. So... You're not trying to flop around these sticks mm-hmm. to get your elevation correctly in your rifle. You throw down your sticks, and then you're on it, and then you can move your rifle lower or higher with this tension, and it stays right there. I just think it's a really cool product that people are going to really like. Yeah, and, and you know, if you when you really need to lock it out, you just grab, you know, below the two handles, and I mean, just 
make a fist and, you know, it's not going to be able to go below that. So, you know, those things, I mean, I know Scott does a whole lot of backcountry and, and backpacking hunts, and that's, you know, ounces are important. And, you know, there's only so much you can fit in your backpack. So I, I think that's going to fit and accommodate a lot of folks. Uh, we're, we're really excited about them. Yeah, that's way cool. What other products do you have coming out? Well, you know, as crossbows have kind of evolved and we've run into the safety features, a lot of the crossbow bottoms have changed. You've got grips that, you know, are keep trying to keep the hands and the thumbs away from the rails. Um, and when that happened, there, you know, there's hardly any way to mount the traditional swagger that we had, the Hunter Series, on those. So we worked on that. And at the same time, we were trying to find shotgun attachments. And we, we realized we kind of need to make a quick detachment to accommodate both of those so we have a, a you know we're calling it the, the qd we've got one that'll extend to 42 inches and another one that'll extend to 72 but it'll take uh if you've got a pick rail it'll slide it'll just clip on and off that but we've got adapters that come with it for your sling swivel stud it has a little pick rail you you know on the top of it you screw that into your sling swivel stud and then you just clip on and off and then for the shotgun uh, basically the same thing, except it's going to uh, screw into your the tip of your magazine tube. Wow. And, you know, the the quick detach has been, come, uh, for me personally, I, I still love the Hunter series because I have a, some sort of deficiency where no matter what shooting stick I have, I'm going to leave it in the truck or it's going to be left, in, you know. So I like having it attached to my rifle. But, you know, I know a lot of others, they, they really like this quick detach idea. And it, it, it was something that was continually brought up to us by a customer so we we worked on it for a couple of months and, and and came out with it and i, I think it's going to be fantastic i know there's a lot of excitement about it mm-hmm. so the the quick detach is that going to be on the standard swagger swagger bipod as well for rifles no we don't have a way to do that yet okay. uh this quick detach will be specifically for that qd model gotcha um you know okay. so it you still have the same swagger legs mm-hmm. that you do with you know it's the same legs still have springs uh it just doesn't have the body or the for lack of a better term the turtle shell for the legs to go back in inside and and describe the legs again because i really feel like like your um your bipod setup and i feel like your sticks they're unique to the market and they're unique to the market because of the tension with the springs in your shooting can you mm-hmm. describe that a little bit and how and what yeah. advantages it gives you as a shooter well i think you know and, and one thing that invariably comes up you know people say well can you load it and you know so loading is I think all, it's, a, it's a great concept, but it's often misunderstood. And loading is just simply forward pressure. But, you know, loading was really come, uh, came about to, to deal with your second shot, bipod hop. But also, you know, you want to lock in. But if you don't load and you don't put that pressure in, you know, your bipod's going to jump and you're going to be off target for a second shot. So we, we minimize that with the springs. But I, I still tell you, you can load. It's, it's just a little bit different. And you're either... You know, if you've got if you've got a spring, you've got a little bit more movement when it's hanging down. But if I apply tension to it, then that movement becomes less and less. So by either pushing forward, I, but I actually like leaning back. So when I get locked in, you know, we want you to not just be there. We want you to settle in by leaning forward or leaning back, whether it's in the prone or seated, so that you then can get your, your uh, shooting elbow on a knee or exactly how you need to sit up the rest of your body. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, the front part of the, the rest is great, but if the back end of you is swinging and loose, you're just a gate in the wind. And, you know, you're not going to hit anything that way either. 
So we want you to lean in or lean back using that spring and the ability to then, you know, if you're seated, to pull your knee up and, and lock yourself into a, a nice, tight, all-around good shooting position. And you just can't do that with traditional shooting sticks and traditional bipods. You, you, you know, you're pretty much you're locked in, and then you've kind of got to build your position up about, you know, you have to have the right size jacket and backpack that you can put under your elbow, you know, when you're shooting down at an angle. So we, we want you to be able to use that spring in, in – lock the rest of your body down yeah. one, of, one of the things i did this this uh, later this fall is with had the shooting the the traditional swagger on the front of the gun mm-hmm. and i used your shooting sticks for my elbow and uh, with, because it's you can apply pressure to it uh to to get the elevation yeah. right and that worked unbelievably i mean it's like shooting off a bench then yeah you know we um brandon and, and scott had told me about that and i was down at our ranch in, in texas and i went and played around with it and i mean it's uh, yeah, you're you're solid. I mean, yeah. we even we we shot a couple of does that way out of a, a out of a pop up. Yeah, you know, and it's on this pipeline where, you know, shooting out of a pop up, it it's tough sometimes as you start getting past 100 yards, 150 yards. Everybody goes, oh, it's just well, you know, there's not much to to balance in there. Right. But you know, we took two of them at almost 300 yards, and I mean, you I don't felt, have a card table with you. No, I don't have a card table. Yeah, <laughs> I know some guy had said, hey, all you do got to do when you go hunting is take a card table with you. You don't need a swagger. So. <laughs> I've tried to attach it to my backpack. It just doesn't – it's hard to walk down the trail. It seems real practical. But yeah. You know, it, it's funny some of the things that we get told, you know, by, by, by shooting experts that, that come through different conventions and, and on social media. And, uh, you know, one of the things – I don't understand this attitude, but it, it does pop up. We'll do a video or something, and you'll invariably get these guys that will say, oh, you know – only people that use shooting shoot, people that use shooting rests were just never taught to shoot. You know, you, you should be able to shoot offhand at any target. And you know, I wow. And, and the difference <laughs> is they have this attitude, and I see it a lot. But to me, it's like it, it's almost what am I? You know, not very ethical for me to just sit here and think I can point my. I can get in some good shooting positions that we had to learn in the military, but I'm never going to be as. I mean, one of the principles of marksmanship in you know the army is find and maintain a steady rest yeah that's yeah. crazy <laughs> <laughs> you know uh hunting the pacific northwest like sometimes you get some quick shots up close mm-hmm. and i can see it then but to have that be you know what you base your shooting and your accuracy on they must have never shot at a target like uh you, accuracy is all about the rest and i thought it was really good you guys bringing up that back elbow mm-hmm. that makes such a difference yeah. with your oh, yeah. shooting it just stabilizes your front and back and like you said it's almost like a like a bench rest right. accuracy then but right. shooting is all about the rest and, and my kids i mean they'd never kill a deer if they had to shoot offhand they're not strong enough to hold up the gun oh, no. i mean i'm a huge guy but my daughters <laughs> aren't that big so, so so my daughters you know they have a hard time holding up a rifle and holding it steady freehand but like to put them on a swagger then they can shoot it comfortably and they can shoot it accurately it's all about the rest yeah. one, one of the things i like to show people is the difference between a, a, a solid what it can do for you you know so i I oftentimes see people shoot from a kneeling position in, in what I think is incorrect, where the the knee underneath the shooting hand is the one on the ground. And so if you just are sitting at home and you try the difference to see how stable you are between that and then switching your knee and having the knee up under your elbow. And it's funny because there's a lot of people who are like, man, I've never thought of that. But it is like night and day. And it's the difference between maybe hitting and pretty sure you're going to hit and you know because that back end starts floating around and yep. 
uh, the floating elbow is is a bad, bad thing that has ruined many, many hunts. Yeah, my dad came from the Pacific Northwest, mm-hmm. and so, you know, and he wasn't military-based, so he's had to learn all this, you know, but it's the only reason he harvested his mountain goat two years ago. We killed a really nice buck together this year in Wyoming that he shot, but it's all setting him up with that good rest. That, that shooting position is so important, but... When you're in the field, it's just different. Like, you think yeah. you could get set up to shoot anything anywhere, but then you start to get set up to try to make a 300-yard shot or even a 200-yard shot. You start getting set up, and then you go, oh, that's not comfortable, or, oh, I'm laying downhill, or, oh, I... and then mm-hmm. the swagger accomplishes that, like, in any terrain. You can get set up for a stable shot, and I, I think that's what's so important, but it's, it's going to do nothing but improve accuracy. And I think another thing is when you're using... Like let's say you you you're out in the field and you're you're just using a conventional bipod and you're trying to get set up and you start fatiguing those back muscles and you're trying to you know get in awkward positions, all of a sudden that that barrel starts doing figure eights and you know so. Um, when, and then you're trying to <laughs> choose when the rifle goes, which is a horrible habit to get into too. Yeah, so I, I mean, it, you know, like you said with your daughters, it, it keeps fatigue down and and you know being able to get in that position without you know, stressing and getting into it. Uh, I mean, man, I I can think of some times where I was like, felt like I was going to break some, you know, ripped muscles in my back trying to get on tar at really, really high angles in New Zealand. You know, and you get to that point where you're like, I can't get the crosshairs, you know, above the feet. I need to get them just a little. <laughs> you know, but it, it, it's in here we can just kind of move the springs around and get into that position and then get locked down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, hunting tar in New Zealand, man, that sounds like fun. Did you do that this year? No, I haven't done that in years. And I, gosh, I, don't, I may be too old to do it anymore. But <laughs> don't tell me that because I haven't done it yet. No, but the way we did it, um, it, we had a camera guy that we knew who was also an outfitter, and, and we were hunting public land, and we kind of we didn't want to do the outfitter route, and really, you know. There's no trails. There's no way to get up in those mountains. So we just got dropped off in different base camps for days at a time at a helicopter. Oh. And helicopters are just part of the – That's part of the deal. Oh, yeah, yeah, you, you oh, just yeah. get – now, don't get me wrong. There are some high fence places and things where they take people up at the top. and you know, But that's not what we were doing. We were literally just getting our stuff dropped off. And, you know, growing up, even years ago, you talk hear all these New Zealand hunters, and that's kind of what they did. You know, they would have a four-day weekend and – the son and his dad would go get dropped off somewhere for four days, and then it comes picks them up. And yeah, so I that to me uh, has been. I did that two years in a row, several years ago. It's my favorite hunt that I've ever done. It's the hardest hunt that I've ever done. Really? I, I mean, we had a camera guy that uh, broke a had a high ankle sprain, broke his leg. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I I mean, I cut all the way through my. I, it's just. It, it isn't at the elevations like we, we might have in Colorado or Wyoming, but everything is straight up from sea level to like six, 7,000 feet. Yeah. And, you know, you, you look at these, everybody asks what the elevation, it's like it doesn't matter. Like it, this is where Sir Edmund Hillary trained yeah. to go climb Mount Everest. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's where, they, it's where they filmed the movie Everest. Yeah, and wow. and, and some of it is just so um, – I, I it's just beautiful, and, and I would go back – in a heartbeat i'd love to go do it again uh we had so much fun and in amidst the pain and just type two fun yeah type, type two <laughs> is that <laughs> what it's called <laughs> i like that uh yeah i'm going in april i bought my plane oh, tickets I, already i cannot wait oh my gosh it, it is you know now i'll tell you the first time we went 
there were three days we sat. We couldn't get up in the mountains, and it was so foggy, and, you know, we were just afraid we were just going to bump and keep pushing the tar. Um, but, gosh, I've I've been in in the midst of tar when they're running and just trying to get set up, and, and they're tough animals. I mean, you have to make a, a very good shot with a, a good quality bullet. There's uh, a lot of hair there too, right? Uh, so it, they're actually smaller than they appear when you're looking at yeah, them. Yeah, so they're, they're real heavy. Uh, their bone structure is real dense, but they fight a lot. And, um, you know, so they, uh, a mature one, you know, it could be over 10, 15 years, but you, you get all this scar tissue up on top of that fat, which <laughs> they've got layers and layers of scar tissue, fat, and then bones that just don't break. And, that, you know, those bullets, uh, you know, it, you need to I mean, just think of it like it's an African game. When you shoot it, just shoot it again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just keep it until it dies. Um, you know, because I, 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 they're just they're tough. But it, it's I tell you, it's so fun. You've got me excited now. But they'll actually they're able to generate static electricity when they're rutting, and you know you keep seeing these tar, and you're asking, is that a mature one? Because you. you a mature, you know, a trophy is like 12 inches versus 10 inches. So it's yeah. it's so hard for the non-trained eye to look at that. You're like, how do we know? How do we know? And Oh, you'll know. And then you see that first tar that's just fluffed his hair up and he looks like a, you know, black bear. You're like, oh, okay. That's that's what we're looking for. And they do that through static electricity? Yeah. They, the New Zealand guys were telling us they, like, they flex their muscles and somehow make, but the hair comes and it stands like straight up. Really? And I have never heard that. Huh. They stink. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you. So, do you eat them? Uh, we, we 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 tried. I've always tried to eat anything, um, and I had people tell me don't eat chamois. We ate chamois. We had a great time. We roasted one. We had backstrap. Mm-hmm. Ooh man, my tar was <laughs> a little rough, was it? My tar was rough, but I tell you, we we ate it in camp. Uh, we ate the backstraps, and it was it, you know there were parts we had to cut out that were scar tissue and whatnot, and it was just extremely tough. Yeah, I heard I heard, um, I heard a story yesterday that you uh, take a boot off, get a boiling <laughs> pot of water, take a boot off, throw it in the pot of water, throw the backstraps in there, and then eat the boot. And, and I think it's more how old they get. You know, when yeah. you're shooting, uh, we we did shoot uh, for camp uh, a nanny tar, and it was considerably better and didn't have that musk smell but okay um, still a little tough i had a backpack that i carried my first tar down in and and my wife ended up after it sat in the garage and then the second time i you know carried it down she made me throw it away i mean it was a nice eastern backpack but she was like that thing is gone (laughs) (laughs) i'm tired of my garage smelling like that (laughs) i mean we tried to wash it we tried you know and it was she's like this backpack i don't i don't care what it costs you it's 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 gone it's either it's either you or the backpack (laughs) i was gonna say i I appreciate a really stinky bull elk i mean that's part of the deal Mm -hmm. but this sounds like this is a different stink this is a different (laughs) type two stink (laughs) 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 appreciate a type two stink yeah. yeah, yeah, that's wild. That's I like rooming s- with you two. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like a like a real bad smelly sock that's got some sour Ooh. mash Ooh. mixed in there. It's, it's a it's a it's a very eloquent bad smell. I'm glad we're eating lunch after yeah. this. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's so wild. Well, I, I'm gonna go there. I'm so excited just to see the country and immerse myself at it. Like you say, it's straight up six, seven thousand mm-hmm. feet from sea level, but it just looks beautiful. Some of those. The, the, the glacial-fed lakes oh, in and in yeah. through there, uh, the, the rocks. And I just love that above timberline. And I like what you said, like the, the challenging nature of the hunt, the challenging nature of the shots, um, just trying to get around. You said somebody broke their leg, their cameraman? Yeah, we he man, he got up on the ridge and, you know, he went through the – he 
slid down the scree and, and just – he thought it was just a high ankle sprain. I mean, I taped it up real good, and he got, of course we get back, and it, the doctor was like, hey, it was actually broken. Um, you know, Ooh, man. it's man. like it is – there's several shots that I turned down on day one or two when you look at it and you're like, it's 530, we got 45. Like, there's yeah. no way I'm going to recover that animal. It's going to take me an hour and a half to get up to it, you know, yeah. if I shoot it. So, you know, you pass a couple of times like that because you just have to – you have to appreciate and respect just how hard it is to traverse that that terrain, which, <laughs> you know, and then the, the the thing too that you really have to it's a little bit different. It's almost like Alaska, you know, where they say the weather comes in. You can be sitting there and be like, "Oh man, it's sunny," and then ten minutes later, you're in a snowstorm. Yeah, and you're trying to find your way back to camp, and you, all of a sudden you can't see camp, and you know, and coastal weather that can move <laughs> in and out really quick, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I. I, I I also love, you know, hunting. New Zealand has a really, really rich and unique hunting tradition that, you know, it's slightly different from ours, uh, certain aspects of it. But they're, I mean, they are hunters. They love it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Dan went over there last year, right, to the North Island. Yep. 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 So I was telling these guys is you cannot outwalk a Kiwi. No. (laughs) Can't. <laughs> yeah, no, they. You think that's you're saying a, something coming from you? Yeah, no, it really you're is backcountry hunter, and we walk a lot. Me and Brian, I mean, that's what we do, and mm-hmm. and those guys over there are just as hardcore, if not more. And there's more of them per capita. Wow. And and yeah, they do crazy things to go on giant missions, twelve miles in for a red deer, and come back out the next day after they just throw down their camp somewhere with a little fly and curl up in a ball and go to sleep and hunt red deer you know red stag in the morning and then walk 12 miles out through just country up and down and it's a tangle it's jungle and it's like wow these guys need a hobby yeah, <laughs> yeah. well they usually they have one huh? they're usually <laughs> rugby walking, players too. it sounds like yeah, yeah walking yeah. you know i yeah, yeah you know it's you, you talk when I, I was in nepal years and years ago and i went up to every space camp and i was in the best shape of my life i ran track in college i was I was fit, and I'm carrying this backpack, and I'm passing all these other Americans, and, you know, I'm going to get up stop. And all of a sudden, I just heard, excuse me, mister, and I think <laughs> I'm going like it. Mach 3, and this little Nepali guy wearing homemade flip-flops has, it's got to be like seven or nine, you know, just seven or eight 24 packs of Coca-Cola that he's hauling up <laughs> to white people that want to drink Coke. <laughs> and it, it's this, it's the weirdest backpack. It's like a, a long board that hangs down to like his calves and it's, it's got a strap not going around oh, his yeah. shoulders, but his forehead. He goes past me like I was going backwards. <laughs> and then there was like another one and another one. And it was just humbling to think like, wow, I'm in good shape. And you're like, no, the Sherpas, this, this guy's got, these guys have lungs bigger than, you know, yeah. bigger than I, and it, they got it, short legs. That's a lot yeah. of steps. It's a lot of steps. <laughs> well, and uh, there wouldn't be nearly as many people that made it to the top without those Sherpas, if any. Like, yeah. I think yeah. even the, yeah. the, the first ascent, you know, they yeah. use the Sherpas a bunch. But those Sherpas also, they're, they're acclimated, you know, they, oh, they yeah. grow up in those elevations. And so they process the, their oxygen better up there just because they're used to it. They're raised in it. Yep. Yeah. Same, same in Tajikistan. Yeah. Those guys smoking cigarettes and they have oh. junky gear and <laughs> that's how mongolia was yeah they're guys walking around in freaking he's walking around in in uh in dress shoes without shoelaces <laughs> smoking a cigarette walking me into the dirt i'm crushing what in the hell is going on <laughs> yeah. here <laughs> yeah that's crazy i haven't experienced that you know because i you know 
usually only hunt the states and everywhere I go I can always keep up if not leading the way so yeah that would be a well, little humbling for me to have somebody smoking a cigarette and passing me up and I think what in the heck am I doing I don't <laughs> take up smoking cigarettes or something exactly. <laughs> what's in those cigarettes <laughs> well, you know, I, I found even I could I guess I could feel a brief moment of what they felt like I remember we uh, we actually slept up in Gokio Ri in the valley it's actually it was like 16.6. So we're sleeping wow. at 16.6 wow. for a week. And, I mean, it was wearing you out. You had cuts on you that just didn't heal. And anyway, I come back down. We we, we were starting to get a little sick. And so we, we went down to, like, 11.5. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, you know, I felt like I could just run around in circles. It felt like you took a 100-pound backpack oh off. And I was like, this is how those Sherpas feel up here. <laughs> That's yeah, exactly, no, exactly right. You know? Yeah, Jeez, and, yep. and it's just—it's amazing the difference of what altitude can can do. And you know, we we go to Colorado every year. My, my in-laws live there, and we always like to climb some of the 14ers around there. And we just have to remind everybody, like, we're not going to do this on day one. We got to sit here and hang out for three, four days. You know, you're coming from yep. Houston, Texas, and you think you're going to be at 14,000? It's going to ruin your day. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. It's going to ruin your day. Mm-hmm. So sit here in Lake City at 8,500 and just, just relax. Chill for a while. Try not to drink Acclimate. a whole bunch of beer and, you know. Yeah, hydrate. Try, acclimate. huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, acclimating is so important on those high elevation mm-hmm. hunts. Um, you know, and even for the guys going to hunt Colorado or Wyoming or even up at 10,000, just getting used to that elevation and, and trying to camp up high. Like I know every time I hunt Colorado, you know, I, I'll go over a saddle and then that's where I'll try to sleep at 10, 11,000 mm-hmm. feet where, I, where I'm driving and then I'll hike in the next day. But uh, any extra days you can get at elevation sure helps you acclimate. Yeah, and you know, when you sleep at elevation, I mean, I'm preaching to the choir, but I mean, you, you sleep horrible. Uh, especially if you're not used to it. So, you know, getting a couple of nights in at 8,500 or something and getting up there. But, I mean, I remember when we were sleeping at that 16.6, it was like you would roll over and and on your pillow maybe one nostril gets closed and you just wake up like somebody was strangling you, like in the middle of the night. You you know, and jeez. That was, a, that was Tajikistan. That made me call Type 2 fun. Yeah. <laughs> Tajikistan. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. Dan thing. knows all about that. Yeah. He just died last year. Yeah. That was what pul- did you get into Tajikistan? Yeah, hey, high altitude pulmonary edema. Oh, my god. Yeah, lungs filled with fluid. and Yeah. That's a bad yeah. deal, man. Camp was at 12.5, and we were up 14.5. And then I could really feel it starting to hit me. And then we hiked up to 15.5 the next day. And that was, you know, the most miserable experience of my life. Oh, I bet. And then spitting up the fluid and then being back down in camp for three days and eating Cialis and Diamox trying to get better. (laughs) Oh, man. So so just to to circle back, you were talking about that tar hunt and your back almost going out just trying to get on aim on those things. Did you have the swagger back then? No, no. This was was years ago, and it was a – we had come, we'd seen a couple of young tar. We came up over the saddle, and, you know, the guy had been like, hey, y'all just get up on the top. We'll split up. You go down. Well, I get up there, and there's ice that's been in the shadows all day. I can see our camp, but I'm like, there ain't no way I'm going down that. Like, I'm going to step I, I don't <laughs> have a pair of crampons. <laughs> like, I am, you know, that is like, I don't even think I'd go down that with an ice axe and crampons. I mean, it was, you know, that ice just sits in the – so yeah. we came back around, and as we're coming, I just see – this tar standing like up on the ridge way above he's like on a rock and he's just standing looking he's you know he's he got up on the high point looking and you know i found these two boulders and i could get 
where I could get the crosshairs just – but, you know, when I would pull off, I would have to take an elbow off the rock or I would have to – and I just couldn't get into position. And then finally I'm looking at it and I'm like, man, we got 45 minutes to get. Oh, boy. Like, I, I think we're going to have to just move on from this guy. But I just – I mean, he was maybe 250 yards and it just was one of those shots I just couldn't get comfortable and didn't feel ethical taking. Um, you know, and it's you know it's when you you, you bend and it's if y'all know that's that moment where you start getting like that, and every time you try to get there start you start wiggling. shaking yep. and wiggling and, yep. and you know it, no matter what position you get in you just can't quite find the right one. Mm-hmm. And it had to be some of the spark which gave you the idea <laughs> to create the swagger bipod. You know, yeah. getting yeah. in those shooting positions and also just your knowledge of shooting, all your military experience and learning, you know, what a what a steady shot takes, you know, the the rest. And that, that's probably where you came up with the idea. Huh? Well, you know, um, the inventor, essentially, when he came up with this, he was um, a coyote and predator hunter that was disabled. And as he got older and older, you know, it, it became harder for him to do. So, you know, one of the things I kind of like to say is, like, a lot of what we got now was, was brought on by frustrated hunters. Um, you know, we, we, I know you talk why I like that so much, attacks to my gun. Both those tar hunts, I had two different, which are our competitors now, and I had two different versions of those products in my backpack. And both times I'm walking along, and I had to lay, just lay on the ground, and it was go time, and I couldn't even get to my shooting six. And, you know, I ended up making it happen, but the, the products that I would brought with me that I was so excited that were going to help me make a shot were – you know, sitting on my back and I got a tar staring at me at 150 right. yards. And, right. That, that's know. where I think you separate yourself from the competition. Uh, and having it attached, but just the, um, you know, how how you can um, keep on target and keep moving and keep a stable position. I, I think that's it, a difference. And it, and it doesn't matter what, I mean, because one of the problems with shooting sticks is they work great on a flat surface, mm-hmm. but that's not real-world application. So you got... You have hills and rocks and trees and stumps, and, and that's the beauty of swagger is you just be able to move that leg in and out whatever side to make it level. And a lot of people, I mean, just like archery hunting, you got to shoot a gun level or else you're going to miss mm-hmm. because the scope, because of that, I don't know, there's some the name for it. Or the the can't or the lean. The yeah. And uh, if you have a shooting sk- stick that doesn't allow that quickly – um, you're going to miss. Well, and how many hard. times have you gotten set up with your shooting stick and all perfect and you go, got it, and then the animal moves 10 feet to the right? Right. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Then, you're, you're, then you're sitting yeah. up and you're moving and you're exposing yourself again to, to yeah. being seen. And, yeah. And takes seconds, you know, and, and, and things happen quick in the field. You have to be able to get on target yes. and make your shot because that animal may only be stopped for a couple seconds. So if you've got to pick up those sticks and scramble over, even if that animal doesn't see you, you got to get back on target, back stable. And seconds, I mean, um, 20, 30 seconds maybe or maybe more to where yeah. this or you can pivot. Or leg. Yeah, yeah you, can, you can move over. So I think that's the difference with the yeah. Swagger Bipod. Yeah, and, you know, you think like uh, last year I, I used this mule deer hunt that, you know, I, I had a mule deer come out in this valley, and, it, and when I see him, he's only 125 yards from me. So I'm in a seated position, but he's, he's on does. He cuts in and goes straight uphill running Mach 2 after a doe, and then all of a sudden, I'm like, okay, he's at 250. I can still make this. All right, he's at 350. And I'm like, I, I need to go prone. I got to go prone here. And I'm able to just slap the legs back in. I ended up, unfortunately, I ended up having to 
take a 450-yard shot because he wouldn't cooperate. He was thinking about does. But, <laughs> you know, I mean, that I would have had to have two products to do that. Right. Um, yeah. To go from that. And so that, that kind of happened the opposite way, you know, but mm-hmm. uh, being able to quickly get into prone was was. I wouldn't have wanted to take that shot in the wind there at, you know, 450 mm-hmm. from those other positions. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, um, uh, so when I go to New Zealand, I'm hunting tar up high, which I'm really looking forward to. But I also get an opportunity towards the end um, to hunt some public land red stag. So oh, yeah. I heard you talking earlier that you made a heck of a long shot on a red stag. <laughs> Was that this season that you were yeah. hunting red stag? I bought this Argentina stag hunt at a – uh, auction like years ago how cool and then we kept having kids and it kept getting delayed so me and my wife we we went and um it was actually the first morning it was right at the end of the roar and they were kind of saying like oh you know they've kind of died down well it got down to like 15 and it just opened them back up wow and as we're trying to get up to the mountain like we have the the truck windows up trying because this place it's a uh, parquet diana it's like eighty thousand acres of private land and we're driving to get in the back there, and you can just hear them going crazy. And it's in the dark, and we're like, "Okay, okay, let's <laughs> let's let's get out here." And and we get we get stopped, and we just start moving our way. And we can hear stag roaring everywhere, and we see one up on this hill. He's got he's got two cows with him, or two does. I don't ever really know what to call stag females. Um, Hines. Hines I, yeah, yeah, I want to call them like they're they're elk, but uh, I, I have the same problem. <laughs> <laughs> so we get we get there, and this this guy is sitting up. He's big, big, wide, and he's 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 not coming down off this hill. And you can hear all these other ones. So he's like, you know, you, you like him? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, well, you you know, if he's going to stay up there, you're you're going to be okay with like a 500 yard shot. I can get us. I'm like, yeah. So I'm starting to prepare. I'm going, what, okay, I got a you know, I'm 30 out six. I'm starting to figure out my holdovers holdovers and i'm getting all ready and and we get uh down in there and we go to get where we're gonna go sit up here he comes running by just i mean he comes flying by goes down there he's like quick we got to go to the next field so we go down to that field to try to get set up he comes running right back by he's like okay you know and i've got this guy who's great he's can't speak hardly any english and his name's lobo and has like a you know his real gaucho with leather vest and everything and (laughs) We get set up, and we're trying to get back, and these two young stag catch us, and we just have to drop. And so I just get the swagger set up, and here comes the stag back down from the hill. And I'm like, okay, now I'm not going to have to make a 500-yard shot. He's going to stop right there. The young one runs. It's going to be 100. Well, man, he turned and ran right at us, and he goes. there's a little dip. And so I'm like, I know he's running at us. And when he pops up, I mean, he's 12 yards. And I'm, <laughs> oh, zoom, I'm, I'm like, zooming my scope back. Like, you know, off I was, the 15 power. Off the 15 power. <laughs> and, I mean, you know, just got, like, I could see shoulder and neck and, and lean back. And I was, I mean, you know, just leaning back and, and hit him right in the shoulder. And, I mean, he ran, you know, a, a few yards away. But, man, uh, uh, it, it was just – it was fantastic, and you know, you. I know those mornings are rare when you get them where they're, you know, whether it's elk or stag. But I mean, it was so vocal, and my wife had never heard that that vocalness from you know even elk. And uh, man, it was, it was wild, and uh, you know, you just it's so funny because the whole time I'm just sitting here preparing for a long shot. I'm getting my brain ready, you know. And nope, 12 yards. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> what That's where you go, dang it, I should have bring my bow. <laughs> <laughs> what a great experience, though. What a great adventure. And I just love those moments in life where you find that action and whatever it is, whether it's the, the, the red deer and the roar or elk and the rut or mule deer, but you get these special moments that, that, that take so much time and effort to put yourself in that time oh, and yeah. in that place. And all you can do is just try to soak up the experience while you're there. But it sounds like you got the most out of yours. And, and you know, that the time frame that I just expected, it was about three hours, three and a half hours that all that's going on. Where we're just going back and forth and right. like, ah, this guy was just going crazy. But I mean, it was so loud when we got down into the woods that we were having to, when we whispered to each other, be right on the ears because it was just nonstop roaring. Mm-hmm. That's um, pretty close to Lobo. Yeah. But that to me, that was one of those times where, you know, I'll, I'll remember that forever just, you know. Because, I mean, he's running. I don't I don't think he knew we were there, but, I mean, he stops, like, at 12 yards, and he's like, oh, what is that? And, you know, luckily I was ready because I don't well, think I would have had much of a uh, much of a chance once he, you know, got a whiff of us. No, things happen quick sometimes, mm-hmm. and you just have to react. Let instincts take over. Yep. Yeah, how cool. Well, um, I know us at Eastman's, we really appreciate the partnership with you. I, I think uh, – uh, swagger bipods are great and and i really enjoy talking to you josh and i just appreciate you taking the time from this busy show and coming on and helping us with the recording absolutely and i wanted to give you one you know from our last conversation we talked about hunting with kids yes and so uh my daughter got her first doe uh over new year's we've oh wow we've really been struggling she's seven and she's struggling with eye relief mm-hmm. in the scope oh. and so we have been working on that uh and you know and if anybody else is having that problem we did something kind of crazy outside the box. We had the swagger set up, but I got a I had an old iPhone 4 that I hooked up to the phone scope. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. And let her sit back on the stock and then I was able to see make what sure she, she was, was in. And you know, she dropped it right in its tracks, but you know, she was so ready to hunt, but that one hurdle of the the scope uh, eye relief was just and it was frustrating her so much cuz she she's probably a little ahead of schedule. I mean, she's done a lot more than I did when I was a little kid, but you know, she shot a hog when she was five using the um, <laughs> the SIG thermal, and that was the wow. same thing. But wow. my middle one can almost get on the scope better, but, you know, I had a 6.5 Grendel, um, that CZ uh, one, and, and that's a perfect caliber for it because it doesn't kick a whole lot. Right. You know, and, uh, man, the scope, she just – it would just get her frustrated. So I, as just a follow-up for our – Yeah, yeah. We talked so you're all telling about me seven's not too young. I, here's what I believe. Because my nine-year-old is <laughs> chomping at the bit. I I'm believe like, ah. I've done youth hunting programs forever, and I have seen kids, and I've actually had four-year-olds kill deer. Oh, my word. And I've word. actually not let 14-year-old <laughs> kids that weren't acting weren't there. That weren't there. And I think it's just on the individual. Um, my daughter, I told her a while back, you know, after she killed the hog, that she, as long as she had to hit those targets that she could, and, you know, she didn't work at it. Mm-hmm. And she kept getting frustrated, and so uh, we, I, I believe it's it's up to each individual kid, mm-hmm. and I don't think there's any, you yeah. know, um, and when she did shoot that, um, we had some people on social media that got all mad about it and said you shouldn't be allowed to hunt until you're 12, and you know, and so I, I, I would rather be able to decide when my kid hunts than the government. Yep. So well, yeah. that's the right way to go. I, I know my kid yep. better yep. than the government. Uh, Josh, congratulations. <laughs> I'm hoping the government doesn't know my kids. <laughs> <laughs> Except for the write-off. I'll take that. 
Yeah, that is so great. And uh, my daughter shot, my youngest daughter uh-huh. shot her first deer on the awesome. Swaggers this year. She's um, Montana. We have a mentorship program, and they do have an age restriction, but she's 10, and it, it was the perfect age for her, you know, and mm-hmm. she's been out with me hunting quite a bit, and she's really into it. But it's a different experience when they get to get behind the rifle, and they get to shoot for themselves. So for her to be able to work up to that, and then this year get her shot, and she made a heck of a shot on that deer. So me as a dad... I, I put some restrictions on her. I want her to shoot 100 yards and in, and I, mm-hmm. I want it to be a controlled scenario where I can I can get her on her rest, I can get her set up, and we practiced her shooting positions a ton. You know, getting her set up, get, acquiring the target, squeezing the trigger, and, and then shooting live rounds as well. And uh-huh. so we did a lot of practice beforehand, before a season. But as you know, in hunting, it doesn't always happen as you plan. And nope. so um, 100 yards are in, and so we had a deer come out, and um, I'm – I'm a, I'm I'm decent at judging yardage at 50, 40 yards, but once it gets out there, I'm not very good at judging yardage. So this deer comes out and it's jogging across the field and it's a a spike and it it's it's um you know we're maybe 15 minutes before dark or whatever, but it's jogging across the field trying to get to its food source. So I said, okay, let's get you set up, let's get you on, get her set up on it and. Little did I know that deer was closer to 200 yards <laughs> than 100 yards, you know. Whoops. And uh, the, the deer paused once, you know, and I said, if you're on it, you can squeeze. And the deer takes off again, and I kind of grunt at him. And then that deer stops, and she put it on him. One perfect awesome. shot, and, and, and the deer ran maybe 15, 20 yards and dumped in the brush right there. And she was so excited. And That's awesome. to be able to share that uh, an adventure with her, because it got dark, and then we had to process the deer. And then I got us just a little turned around in the swamp coming back but we had this adventure with wet feet and wet legs and she had harvested her first deer and then we're so into the meat and then mom's yeah. cooking steaks the next night from katie's deer you that know was, it was cool. just so that neat. was a big part of hers so um i had my other girls with me and it was just it was busy so you know we do take some of the deer to a processor and, and so i told hattie i said look you can pick whatever she was so excited it took forever because she's like oh i want this sausage and this you know but um, it, it's interesting to see, you know, because now when we're cooking this deer meat, she wants, is that my, is that my deer? Oh, yeah. Is oh, that my yeah. deer? Oh, yeah. You know, and she has some sort of pride in being Accomplishment. able to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the, the most important thing. I mean, I remember when she shot that hog, like it was my father-in-law's birthday. And she was like, oh, we have to take this to granddad. You know, we have to. She was sat out there by the grill with me while we we put those back straps of the hog on and that's so cool i i think that's that's what's important is just you know and i made her work for it she works in the off season at that ranch she you know we fixing fence or fixing water troughs or whatever right. it is i mean she's she's out there and and i i just believe you know i wasn't gonna let her take a buck or anything like that i want her to shoot some does and and work up to that and when she shows me that she's ready and she has the ability to hit even better than you know mm-hmm. then we'll, we may talk about it yep. and i took my i took both my girls on my antelope wyoming antelope hunt this year mm-hmm. and my wife actually and uh it was so much fun I, it's a blast to, to watch uh I, i've heard this a lot and and i didn't really grasp it until it actually happened but to watch hunting through your kids' eyes is so freaking cool it's way funner mm-hmm. than me actually shooting mm-hmm. stuff well when and she I shot can't i imagine about blacked out i hardly remember the morning like i'm like "Ah." (laughs) i can't imagine actually watching them kill their you know take their first animal that's gonna be so much fun yeah and um 
I think it's great. You got her started so young, and you put the yep. time and effort in. Mm-hmm. And and I think it's great. You also thought outside the box, trying to solve that problem of the eye relief and the mm-hmm. scope. Um, I I think that's so cool. And and you guys are are building a relationship and something you can enjoy, you know, for for years to come. You know, yeah. and she'll always look back and remember that moment, as will you. But I I think that's really neat. Well, and you know, there's a big conversation right now in Wyoming at, at the state level of because uh, you have to be 12 to hunt in Wyoming. It used to be 14 when I was a kid. And what they found out is at 14, um, the kids get distracted. They don't want to hunt anymore. So they're talking about doing a mentorship where it's even younger. So it's like seven, eight. And I, I, if the kid's ready, you know, get them addicted to it early so that they have that passion for hunting going forward all through their crazy high school years. Um, which is one way to keep them out of trouble. I 100% agree, and I think that you've got to have the mindset that's different today than we were Mm -hmm. 10, 15 years ago because, you know, when people say that, like, I mean, even a few years ago when I was running, you know, programs where kids whose whose dads were killed were coming in and hunting. Yeah. if they hadn't been exposed to it and they're 13, 14, they're they're wanting to do nothing but play video games and be on their phone. Mm -hmm. Too far gone. That's why we've, we've had that kind of. Yeah, my my oldest this year, um, you know, the only reason that she's into hunting, like 15-year-old girls, like they don't, um, uh, not all of them are out in the outdoors and trying to hunt, you know, right. but, but her, because she was raised in that and, and, and because I exposed her to it and she's been hunting ever since the start, um, yeah, she was 15 this year and we got her on an adventure hunt and she shot her best buck ever at four point, but we were able to spend together time together, you know, driving out there and having these important conversations yeah. just about school and about friends and, and life and expectations. You know, we get to bond and have this great time driving there and back. She kills her best buck, but there's not too many 15 year old girls that are that excited about going to hunt mule deer, but she is because we exposed her young. Well, and I think too, long term, you got to think about it. you all are in a lot of fights right now with public land access and you know keeping this stuff going so if 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 we don't teach that next generation you know you only protect what you love right you you don't you don't protect things that you don't know and you don't understand and you don't love and so that's what we have to do is is not only the heritage of hunting but whether it's public land or you know archery whatever it is if we don't teach that to our kids who is i mean school systems aren't going to do it yeah You know, isn't uh, there a Trace Atkins song that's uh, she thought she just thinks we're fishing? It's about yeah. a little girl that goes fishing with a pink rod. Mm-hmm. That's, that's so that's true. A cool song. Of course, I'm dad of two girls. So, but. <laughs> so yeah, I, me too. I, <laughs> I'm three, and you know, my my little one is already. You know, she just turned three December one, and hmm. I mean, she she's already like asking when you know. Because Hattie's gotten to go to South Dakota, so the little one will get back. And she goes, when am I going to go to South Dakota? Like, South Dakota is, like, to them. <laughs> it's they, an adventure it, hunt. It, it's like the pinnacle of, of life, South mm-hmm. Dakota. And, and so <laughs> Don't ever say that again. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is the girls. I mean, they think, they, they think South Dakota is just the, you know, and that's I think it's just from the – and we went this year, and, of course, we, we didn't get a deer, but, like, we're out on this reservation, and all these horses run up. It's freezing cold, and they have ice on their backs. Mm. And Hattie oh, goes wow. to break the ice off of them. Well, all the horses were like, "Oh, that felt good." So they're and she's horse crazy, you know. And this is a moment out in the in the woods, you know. It's eight degrees, negative five windshield, and wow. she's not dressed for it, and just breaking ice off these horses' backs. But that's something that you know, 
it's just part of being outdoors and being outside and that's yeah. so cool. You know, we I just want to continue to make sure that they love it because we know there's going to be a, a time where they're tested with phones and different things in high school and boys. And I think if we can build that foundation, you know, we can hopefully, you know, for the next generation, keep passing this on. Yeah, yeah. you have the right approach. Um, I hope I do. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> but we'll all find out in about 20 years, right? Yeah, I might have been really wrong. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so funny but but yeah thanks again we really appreciate the support at Eastman's and I appreciate the support on the podcast and yeah thanks for taking the time during show season uh, I really enjoyed the conversation oh as always it was always fun talking with you guys mm-hmm. uh, thanks Josh. Okay. Josh all right guys that's a wrap um it's just always fun conversations when I'm hanging out with that Eastman's crew. Uh, you know, we we just uh, I I don't think I've laughed so hard as at that ATA show. Um, you know, going out with those guys and the ribbing and the, the the jokes that fly around. It's it's a pretty good time. They have fun at at everything they do. And and um, so yeah, it was a great time uh, at the ATA. I'm really glad I got to meet uh, Josh Kinzer. Um, that guy's just really fun to talk to on and off the podcast and, and runs a great company that swagger bipods, um, make sure to check them out. If you're in the market for bipods that mount to your rifle or shooting sticks, um, being accurate with a rifle is all about your rest and they build some of the best rests going. So, uh, make sure to check those out and yeah, just, uh, uh, fun hanging out with those guys and fun conversation. Yeah. It'd be fun to get together here at the hunt expo, uh, get some more recordings, um, gosh, I've got some, some good ones that I've put together, um, some good ones coming up. Gosh, we've got a good one next week, uh, putting out one, uh, with Jason Max, Matt Singer and, uh, Dan Picard. So it's our last one from the ATA. Um, we sat down in the Yeti booth and just got rapping about hunting and different techniques and tendencies. And Jason's kind of got a different approach, but consistently produces trophy critters. And so just really fun to pick his brain about his thoughts about about, um, you know, hunting elk and, and um, hunting deer and antelope and things. It's just a great conversation. So that, that's a really good episode. Really excited to release that to you guys. I think we got it slated for next week. So that'll be coming up. And um, some other great ones coming up too. Just really excited at the recordings I got. And, and uh, yeah, just going to keep working hard at my bow hunting. I just can't wait. I am so driven to have the best season I've ever had. And and just um, I'm hungry to put in the work and, and to achieve my goals. I wish fall was here tomorrow, but it, it's good that it's a ways away and I've got time to prepare and time to improve. And um, really going through my, my visualizations here lately just of, of the shot execution on animals. And it just it comes to fruition, you know, when you, you get that shot like at that coos deer where I knew I may just get one chance and you're able to sit on your shot and really execute a perfect one and put a put a good arrow in that animal man that feels so good and so um yeah working on my visualizations and visualizing these these hunts coming up and challenges I'm gonna face and how I'm gonna overcome them and and um there there's no shortage of of challenges on these hunts and it's 
it's an adventure when you set off. And so um, I just want to be as well prepared as I can to 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 jump over these hurdles and and um, you know cross these challenges and accomplish my goals. So uh, it's going to be a really fun year. Uh, really excited. I I know you guys are excited too and starting to plan out your hunts right now. It's tag application season and uh, I just been pouring over maps at night and and um, statistics and and drawing odds and um, just trying to to make some great adventures, some blue collar adventures for 2019. But it's going to be a ride. I just I love to chase mule deer early season during the rut. Love to chase elk in September. Uh, antelope are so fun fine-tune my skills and get me ready and then some of these off-season hunts like you know for a blue-collar guy to be able to go to New Zealand is crazy you know or to to have my buddies in Hawaii and plan another trip there I'd like to go out with one of my buddies this year and uh, go out there and do some hunting you know it's just such a great off-season hunt and then into spring bear and I'm hungry to get a really nice boar with my bow um yeah, last year I went to Hawaii right towards the end of the season when it started heating up, and um, I didn't arrow a bear last year, and so uh, I want to make sure that I get after those things and give them the time they deserve and cover country and get some good stocks and put a good arrow and a good brune. I I just love that opportunity in the springtime, so um, plenty of stuff to work on and, and get ready. I'm just working and fine-tuning all my gear and my bow and... and um, and then, like I say, it's um, negative four out right now. Finish this thing up, and uh, I'll be out bucking a foot of snow with my dog and go get a run in. And um, just it feels really good and healthy too to um, you know to be so disciplined and to make sure that I'm that I'm putting in the work to be successful in this upcoming year. Um, I, I love you know I love this lifestyle. I love the. In- entire process of bow hunting and the hard work and dedication that it takes to be successful and I'm I'm willing to put it all in and I'm you know I I always feel like um you know it it might look like I get lucky and uh, lucky a lot and I I do I harvest a lot of nice critters and I do capitalize when I get the luck but I always feel like I have to work harder than the next guy and and maybe that's just my attitude at it uh, is that I'm that I'm willing to, you know, that that I know, you know, I got to work twice as hard to discover spots and figure them out and harvest animals out of it. And like you say, maybe it's it's just a chip on my shoulder in the way I kind of look at things. But um, I'm willing to put in the work and and can't wait to turn up some trophy critters and then, you know, just have the confidence in my skills to to be able to capitalize on them this year. So uh, it's gonna be a riot. I better uh, finish this thing up, uh, get it released to you guys, and and. Um, get out on my run and get it before I, uh, it's starting to get dark out there. So before I freeze out there, um, not that the dark stops me or anything, but it's going to get cold tonight. I heard it was like supposed to get negative 20 tonight. So it's just going to keep getting colder. So I'm going to go get in my run, release this podcast and, um, yeah, I'll check in with you guys next week. Be on the lookout for, um, that new podcast I was telling you about, uh, Jason Matzinger, Dan Picard. It's going to be a great one. And uh, thanks again to uh, Josh from Swagger Bipods. Um, Swagger's just a great company, and we sure appreciate their support. So, um, yeah, with that, I'll check in with you guys next week.